when the Lord prepares the group that he's going to meet the need of, and then the Lord prepares people to be a channel, anything can happen. Amen. Uh, you were prayed for this morning. So, so many wonderful people that was here and prayed for. I want you to begin to continue to check the situation that you were prayed for. Because the next thing that happens is we come back to the house of the Lord with a testimony of God's goodness. Amen. A lot of times we say prayer, preaching, song. But if, if that is our mentality of church, I noticed something about Jesus. When Jesus is on earth, if you wanted to find him, you would find the people that were hurting. And the people that would hurt was hurting would begin to draw out of him. In fact, you find that Jesus' teachings are sp- in the Gospels are spread in between Jesus helping people that were hurting. It seemed like Jesus would help hurting people and then he would teach. He would help hurting people and then he would teach. He would help hurting people. As much as the teachings of Jesus are so correct, Jesus' desire to help the hurting people is of equal desire. I mean, he has this tremendous desire to be compassionate. That's why we call him the merciful God. (laughs) So I want you, if you were prayed for, check yourself. Continue to check yourself. And then, or or to check the situation, or check the circumstance, or or check the relationship. I, I want you to continue to check and watch God fulfill his promises into your life. Amen? Because I tell you, it's, it's miraculous. When, when we're talking about believing God for something by faith, it's almost struggle involved. It is struggle involved. In fact, we struggle to get into faith. And so it's a struggle involved. But when God comes in the form of him coming together with his church, it's like the miraculous generosity of the Lord. It's like this, this wonderfulness about the Lord that he just wants to help. And he, that's why he makes church services miraculous because it's the presence of God. And so the Lord doesn't just use me to be an example. God uses you and you and you. God uses, and that's what's so wonderful about the giftings of the Spirit. The Bible says he divides severally as he chooses. <laughs> he just chooses. He said, well, I'm going to use Chris today. And Chris becomes a channel of his presence. And then he says, I'm going to use Mary today, and Mary becomes a child. That's the wonderfulness about God. And so you can see God because God is bigger than any one of us. <laughs> He's bigger than any ten of us. He's bigger than any hundred of us. God is so big, and his character is so full. God is just big. And it takes the whole body of Christ to be able to express God in his fullness. Amen? So... So you begin to notice that and watch supernaturally because not only, now God, I believe God desires it greatly when the church comes together because when he comes together, his presence, but God will also use you where you walk. God will use you just like he did Jesus 
He will use you on, in your workplace and in your family situation. So you start giving attention to God wanting to use you. And it usually comes as a little sensing, a little uh, push, a little the presence. I mean, you will sense that, that God is wanting to use you. Now, what I used to do all the time, I stand there and argue with God. And I said, God, is that you? Is that you? You know, it's me. Is that you? Is that you? You know? And then, then finally, to kind of get around then to what the Lord was wanting to do or wanting to say. But anyway, so praise Lord. So it's just real important that you, to you allow yourself to not only be used in church because what we do, we learn in church what God wants us to do in the world. Amen. Now everybody say, I'm not crazy. But it's gentle. Wasn't, wasn't it sweet and gentle this morning? Wasn't it? Couldn't you just sense the presence of the Lord? It was sweet and gentle. It was, it was just sweet and gentleness of the Lord. Didn't put anybody on the spot. It didn't make any situation, you know. I mean, it was just gentle, the gentle flow of the Lord. And, uh, and so that, that's what it's, uh, and that's when it comes in the presence of the Lord. So I want to talk to you something real quick uh, today. I'm going to talk to you about disappointments, pressing past those disappointments, pressing, pressing past those discouragements. Uh, where's, where's Darlene? Is she in here? Darlene? Or it may have been the other service. Anyway, I was, going to, I was wanting to congratulate her. Her little puppy just ran fourth place in the world. In the world. She went to a world. So that was, I wanted to, I wanted to congratulate her. And uh, Gwen, you were here earlier. Gwen, where's Gwen? Oh, our heart is with you, my dear sister. I tell you, there's nobody, nobody like your mom. And when your mom moves to heaven, it's, it's like a big party heart moves with her. And so, but the Lord, the healer of broken hearts, only he can do that. And I believe that, Gwen, I believe the Lord would do that. I love you. Praise God. All right, we're going to talk about going back and talking about the call of God, talking about uh, the character, and he is a character, the character Elijah. Taking it back in to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, chapter 18, and chapter 19. And there, there in those three chapters, we learn about this uh, wonderful man that had a lot of difficulty. I mean, he had some real difficulty going on in his life. And I just love the Bible because the Bible not only shows you the things that we like to portray, but the Bible also, also shows us the things we like to hide about ourselves. And it takes the same man and the same man that, that demonstrates such great things great moves of God, that same man, then it will show that same man in the midst of his weakness when he had such faults. And I want, I want you to know, you got a pastor that's a mess. I'm, I mean, I've got faults and frailties. They run out my ears. If, if, you, don't, if you don't believe that, you ask my wife or ask my sister, and they'll be able to give you fullness. But you know what? God doesn't love me because I do it perfect. God loves me because He is a loving God. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, in a lot of my, a lot of my life, but I'm not as big a mess as I used to be. 
Hallelujah. Somebody say, thank God. Thank God I'm not as big a mess as I used to be. (laughs) Oh, because that's what we do all through life is work out those. The Bible says work your salvation out. That's what it says. We work out our salvation. What God comes and puts on the inside of us must be worked out in our life. And so it becomes, and so we spend the rest of our life working it out. <laughs> working out, getting ourselves out of us and getting Christ to move in to the corridors of the rooms. And, you know, during the last number of years, I've invited the Lord into several rooms in my life. And I tell you what, I've got several more to go. But the wonderful thing about it is he didn't come in there like a bull in a china closet. God it comes in there so beautifully and so wonderfully working in our life. If we will allow God, God will change us from the inside out. Can you say amen? God will bring forth that. So we have to work against this thing called disappointment and discouragement and depression. We have to work against that thing. We have to be ready because the number one tool that the devil has against anybody is discouragement. Now, if you're sitting there sad this morning, upset, about ready to throw in the towel, about ready to give up on them, whatever it is, then then he has been successful against you. So what we must learn, we must learn how to fight against disappointments in life. How to fight against it. And so that's where Elijah's was. In fact, we're going to take off there with uh, verse 3 this morning, 3 and 4, chapter 19. And verse 3 it said, and when he saw that. All right, now this is Elijah when he saw, he saw something that was not what he had wanted to experience. He had been experiencing great things. Man, God had used him. You remember Elijah? Remember he, he's the one that prayed that it wouldn't rain? In fact, the New Testament, in chapter, uh, in book of James, chapter 5, tells us that Elijah was a man just like we are. That's the way it describes Elijah. Elijah was a man just like you are, just like I am. And it describes it in the way of his passions and his faults and his frailties, just like we are. But the Bible says that Elijah prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then there it says in the book of James, chapter 5, that he prayed. So Elijah is an example, what the Bible tells us. The New Testament uses him as an example for me to learn some things about and take his life as a guide, as a guideline for me. Some things that he did right, yeah. And then also God wants me to learn some things that he did wrong and me to stay away from those same things. And God will help me. Now, what he, Elijah, at the point that this scripture takes place, Elijah has just been God's miracle man of the day. I mean, he has really been used of the Lord. Like I said, he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years and the whole water was shut off from the whole nation for three and a half years. The nation became in a drought. Then Elijah prayed and the rain barrel was turned on and, and God was able to supply the need of the people. Then came down to a showdown with the prophets 
and 450 prophets of Baal. I can imagine those pretty ugly looking guys. And 450 prophets of Baal made a stand against God. And Elijah said, we're going to prove who's really God. And they made a sacrifice. Each one of them had made a sacrifice. And they said, the God that answers by fire, he is God. Well, you know what happened. Baal didn't show up, help his guys out at all. I want you to know that's exactly what the devil do to your life. Man, he'll strangle you along when you need him the most. You're going to find him there. I tell you, that's what he does in any lives. But, but God did the opposite. When Elijah, the lone man that was believing in God, when he prayed, God came, answered by fire, boom. And the whole sacrifice, the water, everything was uh, leaked, uh, uh, licked up by that fire. But then Elijah turned right around then and then summoned those prophets of Baal and he had an execution. One man alone took a sword and destroyed 450 prophets of Baal. Man, that's, that's strong, isn't it? Now, that same man had been used of God, you know, to, to be fed by the ravens. Miraculously, he was fed, living by the brook. And then he was miraculously, you remember, he went to the widow lady and that uh, said that, if you will make me first a little cake and feed me first, then God will supply for you and you'll never do without. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? That's a pretty good deal. But it was a little hard for her because she had one son and her life and all she had was that little flour and that little oil. But she obeyed God. I want to know that's where God puts, puts us all to the test at times. The Lord says, I'm testing you. Uh, but the Lord spoke to my heart about this crowd here today, especially and the early service, and the Lord wanted me to let you, a lot of you do not know what's happening, but the Lord wants you to know that you're, He knows you're in the wilderness. And a lot of you know that. You're in a real valley of life. You're in a wilderness. And the Bible said there's certain things in that wilderness. The Bible says there's poisonous snakes in that wilderness. And there's things that try to bite you in that wilderness. They try to take advantage of you. Things that you're afraid of. The Bible says there are also there's scorpions in that wilderness. And, and they're things that you don't know that come up out of nowhere. And then the Bible says that in that wilderness, there's a tremendous drought. There's no water. And it's a hard time for you. That's why it says the wilderness is a hard time. But then that same scripture in the very next verse that goes on says, but this is the testing ground. God is testing you. It's a testing ground. And the reason God, then that same verse, the next part of that verse that says this that he may do you good. He's testing you so you can pass the test so he can do you good. That that you believe Lord for, that that you've trusted God for, this waiting, this period of time that has been disappointing to you, maybe you really trusted God and felt like God was going to send the right person into your life and then Mr. Dodo walked into your life and Mr. Dodo's already left, you know. And so you, you feel like, it's disappointing. Or maybe you've been waiting for the right one. The right one hasn't come. Or maybe you was really praying over that, that increase on your job that you would get the next promotion so that you could have a little bit more money so money wouldn't be quite as tight as it is. And they looked over you and got somebody else. And so Lord said, disappointments have come to you. Or, or maybe the children, you, you did everything that you knew to do, and maybe you was a single parent trying to raise up children, and the Lord knows you did everything that mom and dad could be expected in one person, 
but then things have happened and now some of them are really hurting and, and you feel like you're failed and you're really disappointed. Others of you felt called into the ministry and you felt like by this time you would be moving much forward, forward and people would recognize the call of God on your life and, and all of a sudden you're still waiting in the shadows it seems like and, and so you, real disappointment. But all of that has, all of that's the wilderness. Every great man and every great woman of God had to come through the wilderness. You won't find in Scripture a great man or a great woman that did not have a wilderness experience. Even though Paul wasn't raised in the wilderness, the Bible says that God sent him into the desert for 12 years. Immediately just sent him in there because he had to have it. He could not be God's man for the hour unless he had passed the test in the wilderness. The problem is you're judging the wilderness. What's happening in the wilderness, you're expecting things just get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And the wilderness is not that kind of place. Because the wilderness looks nothing like the promised land that God's promised you. You've got to know that. So it's not what you're, what you're disappointed on is, is over the wilderness. You won't be disappointed once you get into the promised land. But you're disappointed in the wilderness. But the wilderness, God chooses that. That's in His sovereignty, see. That's the first point I've been in this series, God's sovereignty. You've got to know, God chooses all of that. God puts people, He calls it. If you're going to be used to God, I mean, you can't find a, a major man in the Bible, a major woman in the Bible, that was used of God that did not have a wilderness experience. And usually, the greater the test, the greater the reward. And so if your wilderness is deep, dark, hard, and long, the Bible says, according to the book of James, you can rejoice because that means God's making you perfect and entire and eventually you will want nothing is what it says. So God is working. So don't complain about that wilderness because complaining is failing. <laughs> don't complain. I, you know, there's a lot of times you have to take... Uh, three clothespins. This modern world don't even know what a clothespin is. But you may have to take three clothespins and put them all on your lips. You can't complain because complaining is failing the test. There's ten tests that happen in the world. Sometimes we'll probably teach them that. There, there's ten tests that happen to you in the midst of this wilderness wandering. But this is one of them right now. It's the test with disappointment. And that's the one that Elijah failed. Because right after he destroyed the prophets of Baal, I mean mighty man of God, he expected the whole nation was just going to fall down. Well, he was the man of the hour. I mean, he was, I mean, at all of a sudden. But I don't think it was a pride thing with, with Elijah. I really think that he felt that the nation would finally know God. And then what happened was Jezebel didn't quite receive it that way. I want to tell you what, don't be shocked in your life if Jezebel don't quite receive it that way. You understand? Because Jezebel is used in the wilderness. And not Jezebel as a person. I'm talking about Jezebel as a spirit. I mean, some people literally, yeah, you, I see some of the men laughing. You may be married to one. But she may be married to one, too. Because really, Jezebel doesn't know gender. 
Uh, in fact, a lot of you may be working in an environment that has a Jezebel <laughs> that's chasing you. But, but what you've got to do, you've got to get your eyes off the people and you've got to realize this is not a people thing. This is a God thing. It's not even a devil thing. Now, it is a devil thing as far as him using things against us. But it's not even a devil thing. It's really a God thing. And God uses the devil. And God uses the spirit of Jezebel. That's why the spirit of Jezebel is still alive in the book of Revelation. That's because God uses Jezebels of life to test us in the wilderness. And God uses the devil. He's a created being. He was created by God. And God uses him, even with this turn, God uses him to test us. So I know we like to say the devil made me do it. But I'm going to tell you what, the devil didn't make you do it. The devil offered it to you. And you did it. All right? So it's a test. Everybody say it's a test. Man, it's just a test. That's what's going on in our lives right now. And that's what the Lord wanted me to tell you. That you that not understanding that it is, you are in a wilderness and these things exist in that wilderness. But you will not be in the wilderness forever. Somebody say, praise God. Somebody, somebody that's thankful, jump up and give the Lord praise. That you won't be, that you won't be in this wilderness forever. Yeah, you won't be here. Oh, you, go ahead, go ahead and tell the devil that. I won't be here forever. Go ahead and tell the devil. I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be sick forever. I'm not going to have problems forever. I'm not going to have deal with rebellion forever. I'm not going to deal with this forever. I'm not going to, because God's going to help me. God's going to help me get out of this wilderness. And the Lord's going to work some glorious things. So it's important that we, that we see this in his life. Now, the one that he failed, and I'm going to tell you what, he miserably failed it. Now, I don't like to talk about Bible people negatively. But I believe there's a real positive end in Elijah's life. But we don't know of his positive end on earth. We don't know that. Because Elijah, what happened in the life of Elijah, he allowed disappointment. Every person here has to deal with disappointment. Disappointment is the feeling that you feel when things don't work out the way you intended them to or expected them to. It's the feeling. Disappointment is a feeling. It's not a thought pattern. It's a feeling. And because we don't know what to do with that feeling of disappointment, that feeling of sadness, it's almost like the feeling of grief. Because we don't know what to do with that feeling of disappointment, what happens is we allow that disappointment to build into thoughts. And then right behind those thoughts, we begin to say, well, I don't guess things will ever work out. I guess this is the way it's going to always be. And we allow the enemy to build in us a house of thoughts that then give way to discouragement. That's what happened then to Elijah. Elijah went through the next, because in the verse that we're kicking off here, or the verse, let's go ahead and read the verse, so at least we say we read one verse at church today, okay? All right, verse 3 and 4. 
verse 19, and when he saw that he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough, Lord, take my life. I said, I'm through. That's what he said, I'm through. You ever walked into the house and said, I'm through? I'm through. Get that little hand going, I'm through. Like that's going to do something. Well, that's what he did. <laughs> he said, it is enough. <laughs> How many times I said, it's enough, man. <laughs> Especially when you're raising kids, it's enough, man. <laughs> you know, it looks like the devil would at least come out with some new words, doesn't it? Same words, it's enough. <laughs> Same words, it's enough. <laughs> that's what I said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. That's what we pray. The disappointment of a nation not turning to God, not seeing the miraculous move that God was making, not opening their eyes, them immediately turning back to Baal, him dealing with that disappointment, or possibly the disappointment about finally being able to establish godly worship. I believe Elijah was a worshiper, but he forgot at this point to worship. Or maybe it was caused that the nation was going to finally be a worshiping nation again. Or maybe it was caused the priests were going to be able to restore to their honorable place where they would meet with God on behalf of the people. God would meet with the priest on behalf of the people. Or, or maybe it was because that he had, a, he had said, if God can come down and leap up a sacrifice in fire, God can come down to his people again. But somewhere, disappointment. And although I believe that he had been a worshiper, for some reason he forgot how to worship at this point. And he allowed his thought pattern to develop inside of him where he was willing to throw in the towel. That's called discouragement. Because we go from disappointment, whatever it is that we've looked at, whatever it is that's happened, whatever it is, the way we expected God to work it out, let me tell you what, God's payday is not always on Friday. Listen to me. God's payday is not always on Friday. You think, well, I've prayed for a week. It should be happening. See, God's payday is not on. And whatever opened the door to that disappointment in your life. Uh, quick, quick, can I quickly tell you the four things that, that allow us to be disappointed? Uh, quickly, can you, got me on screen? Go ahead, follow, follow suit with me. The four things that fatigue, fatigue is the very first thing. When you get tired, you're not worth being around. How many of you know that? that? Do you know that the wonderful thing about God, God recognized that. And you know what the first thing that he did when God found Elijah underneath that tree? Put him to sleep. Because he knew. And then you know why God, God put him to sleep and he woke up and God put him back to sleep. <laughs> he, said, he said, man, you're not rested enough, you know. <laughs> Fatigue. 
And then frustration. We just get frustrated. Man, we've been fighting the devil for two years on this thing. We've been fighting for this kid. We've been fighting, believing the Lord that God is going to be able to bring him out. And here he is, just, he's, he's head over heels in sin again. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've been, I've been fighting through what, what God, frustration. The third one is failure. And that's usually our failure. Because we, we, we're usually disappointed with our, well, it can be disappointing in other people. People that you've depended on. People that you've trusted to come in. People that you expected to react in a certain way and they failed. And so that opens the door for disappointment. And then the fir- fourth one is the major one is, is fear. It's literally just fear. Can't trust God. You know, David said, whenever I'm afraid, I'm still going to find a way to trust God. You understand? Because fear is, fear is that. Fear is that, that God is not in control in our situation. And if we're not in control, then it opens that door. So, fear. These four things breathe that into it. So that's what happened to Elijah. He opened the door for this, and then all of a sudden he finds himself out there under. But God comes to him, and God puts him to sleep. How do you keep it from going from disappointment to discouragement. Because if it gets into discouragement, probably the promised land is out of sight then. It's on a back burner and it will not happen in your life unless you bring it back into front burner. Because, see, discouragement is the absence of courage. You cannot take the steps of faith that will be needed to bring that promised land. You will will get right to the brink of the promised land. You will get right to the brink of it. And when God says, the promised land is yours, you're going to see the giants. Or either you're going to be afraid to put your foot in the water and let the water roll back. Discouragement will rob you of God's miracle. The greatest tool that the devil has to stop the promises of God from working in your life is discouragement. If you're ever going to be anything for God, You've got to learn how to fight. Somebody say, I must learn how to fight. I must learn how to fight back discouragement from my life. Because the one right behind discouragement is depression. If your disappointment builds to discouragement, the next stage is going to be throwing in the towel. Losing all hope and depression. Now, I want to tell you something that's scary about that. The scary thing about depression is, if you allow it to build in that stage, you can really lose who God has created you to be. Let me tell you a story about Elijah. God found him under the tree. God fed him, sent an angel. The angel cooked the food for him. And Elijah woke up and ate spiritual food prepared by an angelic force. God knows what we need. God understands when we need strength. 
and you can get over there from your lack of strength and you can call, fall prey to the devil and you can let the devil eat you up. Or you can realize, I just need to be strengthened by the Lord. If I can receive his strength, then I can fight. And so what Elijah did was, he woke up and the angel said, again, he said, the, the trip, the journey that God's called you to make is too much for you. I want you to say, whatever it is God's called you to, it's too much for you, honey. It's going to take God to accomplish it. It's going to take God to see it through. If God's going to be able to bring that promised land into your life, it's going to take God to do it. You're not going to be able to do it by yourself. And during that wilderness, God's going to teach you that. You're going to get less self-dependent. You're going to get selfless. <laughs> you're going to think less of yourself, and you're going to think more of God. That's what it does. And the proper foundation, the very first step that has to be, if you're going to turn this disappointment around, the very first step that has to be conquered is you've got to come to a place to recognize God's love for you. Unless you recognize how much God loves you, you're going to never be able to turn that disappointment around. Somebody says, well, I know God loves me. Well, I tell you what, you hit it with rubber meets the road. What's that disappointment doing to you? What is it drawing out of you? What emotion is it releasing in you? The amazing thing about God, about the love of God, the amazing thing about the love of God, when God speaks to you, it creates an emotion in your life. When the devil speaks to you, it also creates an emotion in your life. You can literally tell whose voice that you're following by what's going on what are you feeling in your life? Feelings can't control your life. But God's voice can. And if I will allow God to speak into my life, it will begin to release the emotions, that sense. Have you, I tell you what, I, I, I rejoice so much with people in this body. I love Joyce right there. Joyce, I'm, I'm going to give just a brief moment of yours. I'm not going to say anything, but brief moment. Just a few months ago, Joyce was changed from this beautiful, smiling, caring, tambourine playing, dancing young lady. She was changed because she had a broken heart. Something that had happened in her life that she could not see it ever turning around. She couldn't see how it could ever change. And her dream was so tied up in the love that she had. Joyce Lily was dying. In fact, the enemy told her, said, you're going to die from a broken heart. Can't you just hear the snarl of the devil? You're going to die 
from a broken heart. I broke you. I disappointed you. I hurt you. And you're going to die. And in Joyce's testimony, literally Joyce become to something in her to believe that. Her whole body started responding to that. It is amazing. Negative juices make negative results. Positive juices make positive results. And it is amazing, Joyce's body and the beautiful light glow that Joyce is usually radiating begin to grow dark and Joyce begin to die. But somebody said, but in the mist. <laughs> somebody said out loud, but in the mist. God came. And God helped Joyce to see the area, the era of that disappointment. And you know what Joyce said it was? She says, Pastor, it was the love of God. The love of God would not let me die in that situation. <laughs> the love of God. Well, you see, Joyce, this morning, you see that light glow, see that tambourine bang, banging? You've, see, the love of God would not let her die in that situation. Amen. I said, when a person moves into depression and has the opportunity to destroy the person that God created you to be, that's why you've got to do everything that you can to stay away from that. You've got to cut it off at disappointment. You've got to in some way learn to rejoice in the midst of your battle. Some way you've got to be able to talk yourself in, use the Word of God and talk yourself out of that. Listen, the way a person goes from disappointment to discouragement is they have learned to listen to the devil talk about their situation. I say, you need to be counseled by the book. <laughs> Somebody say, I'm going to get counseled by the book. I'm going to get counseled by the book. I'm going to let the Word of God talk me into life. I'm going to let the Word of God roll over in me and talk me into life and talk me into believing in God that, that it's not over yet, that God can turn this thing around, that, that nothing's happened, that God cannot work out and, and no river's going to drown me. God's going to take care of me in this situation. Amen. Elijah ate the food and ran the 40 days. He climbed up the mountain of God but some way his battle hadn't changed. Though finally God finally spoke to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You're, you're a hundred miles from where I sent you. Literally, he was. You're a hundred miles in the wrong direction. Don't you know I, I sent you to a nation? I sent you on a mission. What are you doing here? And Elijah, even though he had rested, even though God had fed him, he still had that same train of thinking. This is what he said. I'm the only one left. I am the only one left. Anytime the devil can convince you that you're the only one left, you're stage one of deception. 
Anytime the devil can convince you that you're the only one right, I'm here, I'm here to tell you, you may be right, but you're not the only one right. There's other people that love God. There's other people that want God. There's other people walking through problems. There's other people dealing with life. There's other people dealing with disappointment. You're not the only one that's going through a battle. You've got to get it out of being you, and you've got to get it back on God. Amen. The truth of the matter is we begin to quit thinking eternity and begin to think about selfish now. Elijah, what Elijah did was he kept that same train of thinking. So God gave him a commission, a test. God said, I want you to go to anoint Jehu to be the new king. I want you to anoint Ben-Nadad to be the new king of Syria. And said, then I want you to anoint Elisha. Did you know out of the three things that God told Elijah to do? We only know that he did one of them. Did you know that he did not anoint Jehu? And did you know he did not, even though God, God himself spoke to his heart. I tell you what, depression will put you into places and change your allegiance. You cannot allow the devil to keep you there, honey. Whatever it takes, you've got to fight your way up out of that thing. You've got to call your way to the top. And the love of God will help you do it for the glory of God. But do you know who finally did do the two things? He said the third thing you're to do, you're to anoint Elisha. Elisha did it. Elisha finally accomplished. What God had told Elijah to do. Somebody says, sad story for Elijah. Well, I'll tell you what, it's not too sad a story. Because God has a way of even in the midst of our weaknesses, God has a way for His grace to work. Because what I do know happened, upstream, carry on past it, get on past the minor prophets, come into the Gospels, and now you find Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration there with Jesus talking about the great victories that they were going to have for the glory of God. What I'm telling you, God's got a forgiving heart, but you can miss what God put. There's nothing God won't forgive you for, but honey, there's no need of having forgiveness when God can use you to accomplish so much and life can have purpose and life can have meaning to it and you can fulfill what God called you to do on planet Earth. Amen? Amen. Won't you just quickly bow your heads with me? Got one minute to do this. We've had some wonderful times spiritually in the Lord this morning. God's really met us, but you're here today and you say, Jerry, I, I just need to get things right with God. I don't want anybody looking around. We're going to take a moment. We're going to allow you to have a, a moment between you and your pastor that your pastor is going to pray for you as a group. But you need to confess that thing. The Bible said through confession, God is able to bring forgiveness. If there's things in your life that need to be repented of, or maybe that you need to come to full assurance of, your, of God's love for you, I want you to raise your hand right where you're sitting at. God sees all these hands. Others, go ahead and take you, take you just a moment. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Praise God. 
Let's ask God to forgive us. All right? I want you to pray this prayer. If you raised your hand, pray this prayer with me especially. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to forgive me. I'm sorry for straying from you. I'm sorry for doing my own thing when I should have been doing what you put me on earth to do. I ask you to forgive me and I receive by faith, Lord, your forgiveness in Jesus' name.